The superpower that every citizen has is the ability to control where they spend their time, money, and attention. By focusing these on supporting local businesses, you are having a profound impact on your friends, your family, and your local community. So if you want to change the world, you can start with buying local. Welcome back, everyone, to Buying Local. I am your host, Mike Nelson. We are uh, a special show today, actually, a little real estate roundtable. We're going to stop, talk about some of the trends, some of the market conditions uh, that seem to be ever-changing in uh, a very important aspect of our economy and our local community. Joined today, join, joining us today, I'm sorry, are uh, three what I would consider real estate experts. I don't know if I'm using that term liberally, but I don't think so. I think you're all uh, pretty good at what you do, and I know you all personally. Uh, we're joined by Dan Wade, Ionello, and Anderson. Hi, Dan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here, man. Dan's been on the show before. Dan's your man, right? If you're buying land, Dan's your man. That's it. That's the say. Uh, also here with, and I, Mark, I'm going to mess up your last name, but I'm going to try anyway. So uh, joined by uh, Mark Paulos. Yeah, that's right. I got it. I nailed it. Man, I'm getting nailed better. It. I'm getting better at this. With Freedom One Funding, and you guys are you guys uh, INL has multiple offices. You guys are Glens Falls, Saratoga, Latham, Clifton Park, Clifton and Park. Albany. Yeah, so the four locations really make it convenient for our clients to close. Yeah. yeah, so you're all over the capital region, and you guys have multiple offices too, right? We I, don't. We we did at one point, but oh, you we, did. We have uh, one office in Latham, uh, right off the Latham Circle, centrally located, but. Our uh, staff is sort of uh, lives in the uh, greater capital district area. Yeah, so we've got most. You guys of the are up in the Glens Falls, Queensbury area. I mean, you're you're still covering a, quite a wide area. And on top of that, I mean, I don't know. Are you able to do only New York, or are you able to go in other areas? We're only as licensed well? in New York State at this time. New York State, but anywhere Correct. in New York State. Anywhere matter. in New York State. Okay. And then we're here, also joined by Paul Smith from Keller Williams Capital Region. Paul uh, is our community, one of our community partners up at Glens Falls today. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. Hot off the operation table. Can you say that? Hot off. It's like hot off the press, but not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to be back. Everybody's used to my really bad jokes, so I will just apologize at a time for all the, the bad jokes that I make. Uh, well, welcome back, though, sir. So we're glad to have you. and uh, Glad to be here. Yes, Thanks. sir. Uh, all right. So we're talking about real estate, guys. What... Uh, Real quick, well, and we'll just we'll just this whole thing here. We're gonna go left to right, right? We'll go counter. So you get to, you get to sit in the the prime seat of, uh, hearing everybody else's stuff before they go. But Dan, so a lot of pressure on you, Dan. Uh, what's going on in the market? Like what you know? What's what are you seeing right now? Right. So, starting first. That's why they pick me. The not so big bucks is so I get to go first. <laughs> okay. So. What I'm seeing in the market, and, and of course understand that, I usually get into the process a little bit later yeah. from the actual beginning of the process where people are starting to look at homes, um, starting to put offers in on homes, negotiate, and hopefully get their offer accepted. Then yeah. once that happens, the contract gets signed, and then it comes to me. So that's the point of where I'm sort of jumping into the game. So what I'm starting to see more of is uh, less buyers having to waive inspections to get their offers accepted um oh because that became pretty commonplace during it became uh, very very common and we understand why it happened but also as an attorney it makes me very nervous when i see clients have to do that yeah um so it does require some additional counseling of them to make sure that they understand what they're getting into and the additional risks that they're taking um but when you have a good team that you work with 
real estate agent-wise and otherwise, then you have more confidence that, number one, the client has been counseled about all the risks before they put their offer in mm-hmm. and that they understand what they're getting into and that they've checked out the property as, as best they can. So that's one of the things that I'm seeing is that buyers are not waiving inspections quite as much as they were. So they're not taking the chances that they were taking. I think it, I think it's that. I also think that um, because uh, some more properties are coming onto the market, mm-hmm. not nearly as much as we need because the demand is still very high and the inventory is still very low. Yeah. But some more properties are coming onto the market. And so when that happens, there's not quite as much of a frenzy with people trying to right. climb over top of each other to get their bids accepted. Um, back in the height of things, we were seeing probably anywhere from 15 to 20 offers going in on a single property uh, within a week's time of the property going on the market. Yeah. And so when that happens, everybody is trying to find what's the best way to get the leg up to get their offer accepted. And what ended up happening is a lot of these protections that people normally would build into the contracts to protect themselves, they started sort of giving those up or waiving those. And one of those was the inspections that they would waive. Uh, and from the seller side, they loved it because if the inspections were waived, then that's one less thing that the seller has to worry about potentially giving up concessions or credits yeah. for things that might need to be repaired in the property. I uh, and, and Mark, on your side of things with that, did you did you ever find yourself where you're you're writing pre-approvals for like the same house? <laughs> or, Absolutely. You know, like like Sometimes ten different buyers. Times. Yeah, that's amazing. It's three different clients that uh, just that are dealing with me are putting offers in on the same house. Sometimes, so that is kind of crazy. How do you deal with that situation? Like, I, I mean, you know, like it's I I would assume you you're not allowed to say anything to anybody. Correct. Or, uh, it's not something I share with the individual clients. Yeah. Um, typically, they have their own agents, so you know it's usually not the same agent that's uh, that's got the three different clients or three different agents. Um, but it's a little tricky, and yeah. um, you know, I, if you're looking, you know, what I'm looking at is, you know, out of these three clients, which one's realistically going to, you know, have a have a better chance of getting their offer accepted? You know, there's the customer that's going to put 20% down and is doing a conventional loan, mm-hmm. uh, very strong offer. You know, then there's the clients that are going FHA with a very minimal amount down. They need their closing costs financed into the purchase. That's probably not gonna not gonna get accepted in a multiple offer situation. Those clients are having a hard time getting a, finding a house these days. Definitely, um, still a lot of multiple offers and the f- first time home buyer price range. If it's a good house and it's in a good area, we still have a lot of clients that are losing. You know that are not getting houses yeah. and are putting in very strong offers at asking price or above asking price and still not getting the house sometimes. So it is still competitive out there, um, you know, good school districts, uh, you know, that certain price range, I would say somewhere between like 200 and 300,000 is a really hot um, uh, rate, price range for people that are, you know, a lot of the first time home buyers are in that sort of price range well, and they're struggling to get their offer accepted. It's really hard. Some I, of them I've written pre-approvals for six, seven times where they've, uh, before they've gotten an offer, uh, or should I say they've made six or seven offers before they've gotten one accepted. It can be very uh, frustrating for, for these younger folks trying to get a house for the yeah. first time. And Dan, Dan's j- j- chomping at the bitch, jumping at the well, and just to sort of jump in off of that too, one of the things that does actually help a potential buyer have their offer look more appealing is if they go with a local lender. Mm-hmm. That actually really does help um, people in the industry know what are the more solid uh, lenders to work with. 
Um, As opposed to going with like an online outfit. Right, that, rocket mortgage out of the Midwest, some yeah. call center employee that doesn't know anything about the area. Yeah. Maybe, you know. They couldn't tell you the street. They don't know the area. They, you know, no no clue. Yeah. Um, well, and, and so you were talking about first-time home buyers in that two hundred to $300,000 range. I mean, can you even buy a house around here for under $200,000? Like that's where foreclosures are going for, right? These days, I mean, is it? It I all think, depends. So most everything you're looking at that's under 200000 most are in the foreclosure stage yeah. or pre-foreclosure. Um, you don't see a lot in that in that range that that or that are going to be simple sells. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're going to be some some quirky properties. They're going to be some. There's going to be some issues. Normally, typically, I mean, just the last over the last week, we've had some changes in the market. You know towards conventional loans of now they're starting to put handrails you know they need to exist everywhere where before in a convention you didn't have to have that like kind of getting to like where that fha guideline kind of is where you've got to make sure that all the banks the banks are making sure that what their investment is more secure so they're starting to tighten things up and it's it's going to be something real estate agents have to take knowledge of because you know you're going to need to know that up front so that way you don't hold your client up if they get an offer accepted because you're yeah. waiting for a handrail to be put in or some quirky thing now that they've got some new rules out. So, you know, it's just something you got to look for now. Um, conventional loans are going to look like FHA loans, I think, here pretty much in the future where almost everything's going to have to be done the same. Yeah. You know. And are you are you still seeing the inventory? Because I know, like, I'm trying to think when you and I spoke back in... God, it must have been maybe February or March. About March. Yeah. That you were talking about, like you were sitting on like 30 buyers at that point. I'm still sitting on 31 pre approval. <laughs> um, That's crazy. And it's still Dan, an inventory issue. Though. Dan is actually working with two of my clients, be working with a third here pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and um, it's an inventory issue. I mean, still. That 350 to $400 range and up is still very difficult. Um, there's not. I haven't seen a lot of great homes. Um, I've seen some good homes, but not great homes. Um, I've got people out there that want a list, but I can't get them off the fence. They're just, they're waiting. They're like, no, interest rates are high, inflation. Yeah, and I want to go on to that in a minute too and talk about the Fed and interest rates and all that. But You know, that 7% has made a lot of people turn their head away right now that's, saying... That's a big jump in payment from the 3.5% we were at just two years ago, you right? Know, and then, but then I explained to my buyers, you know, when I bought my first house, I paid 13.75 and I, haven't, I had an 800 credit score. I think mine was 8% or something, 85 back in the... You know, back uh, in 1990. You know, I mean, <laughs> it was crazy back then. But, no, what's funny know. is when uh, uh, we opened up uh, Freedom One Funding, it was uh, December 2002, so a little over 20 years ago. And uh, the prevailing conventional interest rate was around 6.5% then. Mm-hmm. So not a whole lot lower than it is now. And um, the funny thing is at that point in time, we had people begging, uh, you know, like banging on our door to refinance because so many people were sitting there with nines and tens and eight and a halfs. Yep. And uh, I had, you know, uh, grown men in their 40s telling me they never thought they were going to see interest rates that low. And they're not a whole lot different than that now. A little that bit higher. That was cheap money back then. Right. Yeah. But now, the you know, it's just the, the, the mindset is so much different. 
different because you know everybody's so used to those interest rates that got down into the into the high twos and the like low in the threes. Twos. How and, crazy is that? that there was mortgage yes. rates in the twos, yeah. right? And I think an unintended consequence um, of interest rates going up that certainly I didn't anticipate were, was the fact that it's going to keep people from listing their house and selling. Yeah. So like it's that gonna, was something it's, that I never really you know thought about exacerbating the inventory problem yes, because they're looking people that want to downsize or upsize. They're looking and saying, okay, let's say I'm going to go find a house, uh, you know, get rid of this big, you know, four bedroom, three bath colonial and uh, get people are getting older, want to get into a ranch or something that makes more sense as they get older and, uh, you know, drop the square footage, maybe drop $100,000, $150,000 yeah. in price. But now they're doing the math sometimes on the on what the mortgage payment's going to be compared to what they have now, and, and it, in, in some cases it's cost them more to downsize or the same amount, mm-hmm. and they're just looking at it saying, "Well, I think I'll just sit on the sidelines and wait," kind of like uh, um, Paul was saying. So that is still a current condition that we have. Is there's still a lot of people that are just sitting on the sidelines waiting for conditions to change, which yes. I mean ultimately. That's the Fed's goal, right? Like, is to keep those people on the side. I mean, they want to, you know, inflation is the too many people, you know, too much money chasing too few goods. And, and they're trying to slow down that chase a little bit or a lot for that matter. But a lot. A lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think from a recent article that I read that there's no, uh, no end in sight to that slowing or the raising of the Fed rate. They might do. That's the way that looks. Yeah. Yeah. Looking like another raise coming down the pike, which, which is where I want to go next. So from a mortgage standpoint, and we're kind of already talking about it, but uh, you know, what, what are we seeing there? So we're seeing the Fed, Fed potentially raising. I mean, what are rates going at right now for a, you know, let's say a, a good, decent credit score. We're in the, we're in the low sevens now. We're low seven. That's a low good to, rate low to right mid now. Se- yeah. Like a seven to seven and a quarter range for somebody with uh, actually with excellent credit. That's what, where we're at. What's your right FHA now. rate going? Probably right around the same. Right around the same. Yep. And that's, and, and FHA still functions as, you know, you can do like letters of explanation and things like that. It's good yes. for first time home buyers. It's not as credit score driven. So somebody with, uh, you know, a 640, 650 credit score yeah. can still get a good interest rate on a FHA loan. For somebody that doesn't have a lot of money, they can get their gift, their their down payment money from a gift from a relative. Uh, they can finance in their closing costs and in many cases, um, if they can get their offer accepted with the closing right. cost financed right. in, which is a challenge these days. But Yeah, um, I'd imagine that is probably a negative for uh, a selling or a seller, right? They're yes. seeing someone that needs yeah, help with their closing costs. Conces- you don't see a lot of concessions right now getting yeah. accepted. So, right. The way that impacts the you know the offer is let's just use a number. Say somebody's buying a house for let's say two hundred thousand dollars and they need a ten thousand uh, dollar seller concession for closing costs. And the house is, you know, they're offering two hundred. Now they want to write the contract for two ten to, to finance in the closing costs. Well, now the property has to appraise for two ten. So if it doesn't appraise for two ten, now the seller is either, you know, you're looking into the seller to lower their price, and that's the risk to the seller that now, you know, accepting that offer. Now they got to, you know, get a higher appraisal. I mean, are is are appraised values an issue? I almost feel like because things were appraising so high. Like I remember we got calls about our property. It was stupid what they were saying they could sell it for. And I'm just like, is it – it's an issue? You're, you're not in your head like it. Like well, it's, 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 it hasn't been an issue in the last uh, – a big issue in the last, uh, I'd say, six months to a year because, you know, the prices have gone up. Um, yep. it, it was earlier in the process when they were first starting to climb where, you know, your, your appraisal is, is chasing that, is, uh, the price because they've got to use sold yep. houses for comps, for comparables. And if those houses haven't sold yet – 
you know, even though they're going to sell for a higher price, they can't use those. So, so that, that was a bigger problem earlier in the cycle. I feel like right now it's not uh, quite the same. I did have a client that uh, underappraised on a house in Gansfort recently, uh, South Glens Falls School District, uh, was just under 400000 high 390s, and uh, it underappraised by, you know, not a lot, but like something like nine uh, or $10,000. The sellers gave up a little bit of money. The buyers came up with a little bit more money. And they I would say, yeah, that's got to come from somewhere. Work, right. but sometimes it sometimes it misses by a bigger amount and it kill it could kill your deal. Yeah, jump right in. Dan. Yeah, I think where I'm seeing that come up as an issue is where you have a multiple offer situation where the seller has listed the price, and sellers will work very very hard with their real estate agent, and their agent will do a really good job of pulling comps to the area to get a good feel as to what the property, what level it should be listed at mm-hmm. when it goes onto the market. If it's a good house, though, you're probably going to get a lot of interest on that house. There's going to be multiple offers on that house. And if they drive that price up $20,000, $30,000 above list, that's where we start to see sometimes we have the issue of the property not appraising. And again, it's an education process at the beginning of making sure that the buyer knows that if the property doesn't appraise, there's a chance that they might have to kick some money in to make the deal work if they're willing to bid that price for that property. It's interesting. And I mean, I guess you guys all would know better than I would, but has that become pretty commonplace of people selling above list price? Yes. Right? Yes. Like, I feel like I keep hearing that. Like, yes. I, I, I hear all these offshoot conversations about people buying homes. And I'm like, well, yeah, we end up spending 50 grand more than the listing price. And I'm just like, really? Have you heard about an appraisal gap uh, contingency or an appraisal gap uh, addendum? So that's another thing that people are getting creative about, creative with on the buyer side to make their offer stand out. So especially when you're going above asking mm-hmm. and there's multiple offers, um, somebody that has some extra money to put down or somebody that's already putting 20% or percent down or, or more, um, they can put in an appraisal gap waiver, basically saying, "Okay, so if the house, you know, the house was listed for two fifty, we're offering two seventy five, and they might come back and say, okay, we're willing to make up any of that appraisal gap that falls short as long as it's at least two fifty. We're not going to go if it appraises less than right, asking right, price, right. but they'll agree to make up that difference. And some some cases, if they're putting a big enough down payment down, they can have the same mortgage. The only difference is they'll have some PMI on the on their payment. They have enough money." already that they're putting in for a down payment, they could just take a 20% down loan and it goes to 5% down or 10% down. doesn't really affect wow. things hardly at all. makes their offer that much stronger. Now the seller says, okay, I feel good about taking, even though they have a mortgage, they're taking a, you know, paying 25 grand over. If the house doesn't appraise, they're going to make up the difference. That's fine. I'll take it. So it, it's, it makes the offer stand out as long as, you know, it's kind of like one of those uh, tools in, in the buyer's tool belt, as, uh, like uh, weaving a, a a contingency like Dan was talking about, inspection contingency, which is risky. Yeah. You know, as an agent, we have to really get creative. Um, some of these houses that you walk, you show in, and you know they've got 15, 20 people looking at that same house, and this person really wants a house. Like, he's working with a buyer now that, you know, they had quite a few people look at this house, and um, and we got it. Well, that was that was going to be you know one of the questions is how how are you making your buyers stand out to these listings to these sellers? So be, by being a little bit creative in your in your wording of how you're putting your contracts together and how um, you're presenting their offer. I mean, it's, and, and how you're presenting it and and making sure. I mean, I reach out to every agent before I go and show a house. I speak with them. I talk to them about the house. 
you know, tell them who I am. I do that every, any, any house I show, I, I, I've spoke to the agent before I go in. And making that contact sometimes is the big thing, you know. Um, the agent appreciates somebody reaching out, you know, saying hello and just, you know, we're coming in, you know, we got, we're pre-approved and we're good to go and, you know, let's, uh, let's see what your house looks like. I mean, because it really has to be, right, about making, like really dressing up your buyer and their ability to purchase that house better than anyone else. I mean, is that what you're trying to accomplish as a buyer's agent? Is that? So, yeah, as a buyer, on the buyer's agent, yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to make sure you're going strong with a lender, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's good if the, the seller, if they know that mm-hmm. they use that same lender, so to speak, and they trust that, that seller, you know, trust that mortgage company. They're like, you know what, this is a no brainer because they might have somebody that got another offering, but has got just a single agent mortgage guy that yeah. just, you know, he closes five houses a year. So they're comparing, you know, so sometimes it comes down to that. You never know, you know, it's. So it comes down to, if I hear it correctly, like who your agent actually is, like that matters. Sometimes I think it really can affect, you know, who gets, who gets it. That's interesting. um, I never really considered that. We get phone calls from listing agents. uh, I wouldn't say regularly, but uh, you know, once a month I'll get a phone call saying, Hey, uh, there's, I've got multiple offers on this house. I see you're doing the mortgage for, you know, Joe Blow here. And uh, what can you tell me about him? And with Joe's permission. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what, what are the right. rules around that, right? You know, I, I, I would, <laughs> of course, go back and ask the client if they're okay with me giving out. There's certain information that I think they're fine with me giving out. Yeah. They have good credit scores. They have a good job. But um, sometimes I'll get into more detail if the, you know, if the buyer is okay with that. And yeah. I think that's really goes a long way. Um, you know, when it's, especially when it's a really strong, uh, buyer and borrower, when I can explain that and, and sort of, sort of give the whole, you know, the whole picture, paint the picture to the, yeah. to the listing agent, uh, had that just happened recently on a, uh, a young lady that was buying a house, had an awesome job, you know, 800 credit scores, more money in the bank than she was using for the down payment. So she could make up a, any shortfall if the appraisal didn't come in, that kind of thing. And they actually took her offer over a cash offer. I don't think the cash offer wow. was quite as high, but I was pretty impressed. And, uh, but she is super solid and she's buying a, uh, condo or, uh, or a townhouse in Saratoga and she got her offer accepted. Appraisal hasn't come back yet. So we'll see how that goes. Keep fingers crossed, exactly. right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think a lot of it is reputation. I think a lot of it is relationship building, partly creative writing, creative thinking. Um, Paul, how many, when you have a decent house come on the market, how many offers would you say are going in on that house? So just prior to my surgery um, was my last listing. I got a couple listings coming, but my my last listing, um, I had an open house. I had 42 people through. I had 33 offers. That's crazy. Wow. Um, How do you even weed through all that? So I literally had in there that I would make the decision by Monday morning. I had to literally reach out to every agent and say, this is going to go a little further than that. This was the Oxford Circle. Yeah, because don't, um, don't you have to do like a multiple offer disclosure at that point? Like, don't you have to let everybody so know I that did. I did put that in. During the open house, I had to put that online so it was known. And agents were asking and they knew. And they were literally writing numbers down as they walked out the door. Wow. Um, so we actually did get... So I... I'm unlike some of the agents. I, I I disagree with what some agents are doing out there. They're taking a home. 
they're looking at it and I think they're pricing it low on purpose just to bring in multiples, which I'm not a fan of. I've been, I've been in business for 35 years. I want you to put your cards on the table. Sure. So I priced, when I priced up the house that I, I put on the market, I said to the seller, you know, I'm not going to put this $20,000, $25,000 low and hope that we get 50000 more. Mm-hmm. I said, let's put it where the market's showing it should be. Yeah. And let's go from there. And we still ended up getting 25000 over asking. Yeah. So with 30 plus offers, that's crazy, man. It is crazy. So that was a crazy weekend. Do you, when you're listing properties and you have that much interest, do you set like a drop deadline for a best and final offer? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. usually, so I'm a fan, I'm not a fan of Sunday open houses. Um, I'm a fan, I love Saturday because that's when I think people are out and about more and you get more action. Um, well, it gives you Sunday to deal with all that. I've paperwork. done a couple, <laughs> I've done open houses for other agents that didn't, couldn't make open houses mm-hmm. and I said put it on a Saturday because I won't do them on a Sunday and they said why I said because you're gonna get more people in on a Saturday I just did one um three weeks ago and I had six buyers for her. she was like what did you do what did you tell them I said I know how to sell houses that's that's you know I took them to the the bare bones of this house and just con- convinced them what was here and mm-hmm. they went out and you know she got, I don't know, she got 15 over asking, I believe. So. That's still pretty good. That's I, really I good. I keep hearing that trend, man. A lot of over asking. And so that's the other thing that I see sometimes is where, where there's been a multiple offer situation and buyers are putting in an offer, they will also sign something called an escalation. Yes. Um, addendum, which essentially means this is what my bid's going to be, but I'm willing to bid more or so much more than whatever the highest bid is that comes in up to a certain dollar amount. So if you think of it almost like an auction in a way, like it this is, is yeah. yeah. So they can they can do any increment like they want. Um, I kind of try to tell my clients, I I just like you to put your money at the table. What do you want to do? Yeah, right. You know, I don't want to be going back and forth with the agent for a thousand dollars every thirty minutes. He's gonna call me because the offer's jumping and this. You know, let's see where where do you want to be? Let's see if we can get there. Yeah, and. Certainly. Um, so you accept uh, escalation clauses? There are some listing agents out there that said they say they won't. Uh, I don't accept a, an I, escalation clause. I'll tell them just to give your give us your highest and best. So in the thirty three, I I actually put no escalation clause, best and final. I don't want a numbers game. This is you know, yeah. I think it mucks the water. Well, with thirty three offers, that's a lot of back and forth. With because a lot of people here's there. an issue: you if you get that many offers. And five of them have escalation clauses, and they're all and they're all written up different because some agents write them up very well, and some agents write them up and they're they're so hard to understand because mm-hmm. they don't explain everything to detail. So they're expecting us when we're looking at them to understand what they're saying. So here you got to go making a phone call, so you understand their offers. So you're giving them a fair chance because they didn't write it up correctly. So hmm. I, I'm not a fan of the escalation clause. Um, and I kind of tell my clients that up front when I'm doing a listing, I said, we're going to go for, you know, this is where we're at. If you get over, we'll, we'll go best and finals. This is, this is how we'll do it. But I, I prefer not playing the, yeah, I don't blame you. Best you know, and you don't, sounds good when you go to buy a car, yeah, it, you're not going in there and saying, okay, no, 
500, no, 1,000, no, 1,500. No. I mean, they try to do that. They love that game. So uh, so let's talk about some other trends, right? So what it, it you know, so back 25 years ago, I used to flip houses, right? Uh, and then the market went crazy and it was so hard to find them and so hard to make money. And I haven't done any of that stuff in a long, long time. I'm just curious. Is it, I mean, is it, do people still flip houses? I mean, are we, are people still doing it? Is, it, is there still money to be made flipping houses? There can, there can be. Very minimal. Yeah, but more of what I'm seeing if people are getting into real estate to invest is to get rental properties. Hmm. Yes. Because the way that rents have increased um, more recently over the past few years, I mean, rental income can be pretty good. Now to balance that out, you got the landlord-tenant laws and the way that well, those were amended in 2019. So there's that consideration to make too. I was going to ask you that because that was something we had, we had talked about more rental properties and I, I the whole the new laws just scare the crap out of me. I mean, people, especially during COVID, like you you yes. could not evict someone. It was very difficult. It's not as difficult now because the courts have opened up which is also why we're seeing more foreclosure properties on the market because the courts have opened up in that area as well. But yes, I think really if you're going to get into real estate for investing for rental properties, it's really about knowing how to pick good tenants that you bring into the property so that the property can be preserved and basically you have a good steady flow of income, which is at the end of the day what you want if you're going to invest in real estate. Yeah, yeah, because that's scary. I mean, you know, a lot of people that buy... Investment properties don't always have the best cash flow, right? Especially right. after the first few years of buying that rental property and you need that rental income coming so in. So during COVID, what happened is uh, many tenants stopped paying their, yeah. their mortgage or their rent. And then all of a sudden the landlords couldn't pay their mortgage. Right. So then the banks came out with a you know a forgiveness program or whatever where they could defer their mortgage payments for a year or sometimes longer. Yeah. And it was so it's, you know, that's that has long lasting effects to the economy and to those people that were, you know, were um, affected by that. So a little bit scary. As far as uh, flipping houses and all that, I hope that's not a, not dead because I did just buy a previous foreclosure nope. in Les Falls just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, up there working away on it. And nice. uh, so, uh, you know, I guess uh, until it sells it. And I work for beer, and by the way. the job is all done. You know, I'm not very handy. I don't know how that's going to go, but uh, hopefully it goes well. Nice. And, you know, just to circle back to, to the inventory issue that we're talking about before, I know that there has been some ideas thrown around that the government might jump in and try to create incentive programs to try to um, encourage sellers to, to sell their homes um, so that they have you know closing costs or moving costs covered for moving from the property that they're selling to where they're going next. Have you guys, Paul or Mark, have you guys heard anything more on those areas? So they've, they started talking to us a little bit at Keller Williams about it. Um, of these plans coming out and what they think is going to happen. So Mark Weiss, the CEO of Keller Williams Capital District, you know, um, great man, lots of knowledge. You know, he's figuring, you know, we're we're looking at January into next year to start seeing changes. Um, you know, the big thing is everybody got surprised this May and June that we didn't get a boost in inventory because everybody predicted we were going to get a boost in inventory and instead it actually literally recessed a little compared to what they thought was going to gain. So we're looking at really a lot of agents dropping out of the, out of real estate because they just, they're not 
Well, I bet the mortgage game's thinned right out. Absolutely. Oh yeah. They just the, the agents are giving up because they've they're sick of doing the multiple offers and they don't got enough clients. There's not enough houses to sell, so they're not able to make a living. And if they can't sustain, they get out. Um, I I got I am confused though. The government's talking about stepping in to increase listings to help solve the inventory problem, but the Fed is raising rates on purpose to decrease inventory to slow inflation. I, I, I they're working it, against each other. Doesn't right that now. sound? That sounds like that. As soon as you said that, I'm like, wait, what? That sounds right. completely contradictory to what the Fed's trying to accomplish. I think the Fed's realized at some point that it may have been a little too fast, too soon, and so now the talk is, what can we do? In the real estate area to try to help that interesting situation. Yeah, interesting. What a crazy mess. I mean, it's crazy because you got it is crazy. You got people out there literally that want to sell their home, but will not come forth yet just because of what's happening. They just will not. I mean, you can't. <sighs> That's crazy. You couldn't. You know, you couldn't offer them a, a year's worth of free beer, and they still don't want to <laughs> I mean, you I'll know. do a lot for a year free beer, guys. So. I know. That's what you said. That's what I said. <laughs> you know, hey. Beer's expensive, man, especially the good stuff. IPA doesn't mm-hmm. come cheap. That's right. So, so people are still flipping houses, Mark included. Good stuff. It's exciting. I always enjoyed it. There's Look. some good ones out there. Um, I got a couple investors that I'm working with. Um, they haven't been excited with a lot of the properties. Um, that I've that we've shown. Yeah. Um, but it's been a couple of months since I've actually shown. I imagine the the world of, of flips are probably still viable for people that are doing their own work, not so much yes. the guys and girls that are paying someone to do the work for them, right? Because now your cost of acquisition, cost to cure, all that fun stuff is, you know, there's not leaving a lot left over if anything at the end. But at the price of materials and everything now, yeah, it's, that's not really a. It's not an advantage. It's got to be the right house in the right area at the yeah. right price. But kind of like uh, Dan was uh, talking about earlier, uh, foreclosures are, are starting to have a little bit of a resurgence again. Yeah. So that should help uh, going down, you know, in the fill the pipeline with yeah. future, you know, uh, opportunities for people to do that again. Because, you know, that they really got sort of bottlenecked up mm-hmm. during COVID. Nobody was allowed to foreclose. Everything just sat there and... Uh, you know, I, I know some. I know some real estate agents have relationships with, uh, you know, with banks or with the V. So know, I've VA. had. That's interesting. I've actually had three banks reaching out to me personally, um, asking if I wanted to take on foreclosure foreclosure properties. Um, I've sat back and I've debated. I haven't decided yet. I'm actually Chase is one of them. Um, uh, Chase, Fannie Mae. Um, and I got two others I got written down. Um, so I had a bunch of questions. Um, and I, and they've answered all my questions. Uh, my next thing, you know, I'll probably have a coffee with Dan because I deal with Dan as my attorney. Um, just to talk to him about what I've talked to them about. Just, yeah. to, just, to, just to keep my self-insecurity, knowing of listing those homes, you know, um, as an agent... I, I look to hold myself accountable for whatever I'm selling. Um, so when you're selling a foreclosure, it's kind of hard because you don't know what that foreclosure is. Yeah, you're when, selling it as is, right? You're selling it as mm-hmm. is, and you don't know what it's going to be like when that person moves out and you get to finally walk in that house. Yeah. So 
that's that's where I'm on the fence. I'm just, um, you well, know, stay tuned, right? Yeah, we'll stay and, on the. And and I have a background in foreclosure, so that will be a very productive conversation once we have that. Because yes, of course, foreclosures do come with some of their own risks. Well, we'll have to circle back right. to that, see what, see how that shakes out. Yeah, we'll let you know how that makes out. I yeah. just haven't made that decision. As I said, I'm just coming back in, you know, after having open heart surgery. I'm 10 weeks today. I'm feeling good. You look I'm good. I'm ready to conquer the world again, so. That's good. It's uh, We'll get after it. We'll get after it. What, uh, so I wanted to ask about flips, I, but and, and we started talking about rentals because, again, that was just a scary thing, but, you know... I, are there cash flowing rentals available out there? I mean, with where prices had surged, I like I was watching the market. I'm like, there are no properties that you can make money on right now from a rental standpoint, from an investment standpoint, even after you're 20% down, right? So is it coming back around? Is it making more sense for multifamily uh, investors to get back in the game? And and when I say that, I guess I really mean not the big guys, you know, your normal Jack and Jill investor that is, you know, pinching pennies to get that 20% down and have the reserves and everything else they need to be able to get the loan. Yeah, because I'm still seeing people every once in a while who maybe they've had or held on to a rental property mm-hmm. for a number of years and now they're moving out of state. Maybe they're downsizing themselves or retiring. Yeah. And so they're looking to drop that property or you know get rid of that property as they move on to the next chapter of their life. So I'm seeing clients come in that are purchasing those types of properties and, and sort of taking over a property that's already fully rented mm-hmm. or close to fully rented and making it a, being a profitable and productive thing for them. I just got a, uh, I have a buyer that's uh, uh, just got his offer accepted in the process of doing his mortgage right now for a three unit uh, interesting property in Schenectady. Uh, two, it's a two family house and behind it is a single family they rent out the two family uh, long term tenants, you know, but rent by the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've had tenants in there for a long time. And then with the single family behind it, the previous owner was renting that mainly on short term, uh, like a v, like an Airbnb type. Yeah, rental. yeah. But they're making a lot of money on the Airbnb. So he's going to try doing it the same way. Um, that's a whole nother, uh, you know, certainly a conversation and topic out there that's, yeah. that's been kind of hot too. And there's been a lot of uh, interest in, in people buying properties really, you know, kind of, uh, you know, had a, it's, it's very controversial, especially in some of these like resort towns, you know, Lake George and some, oh, of, I know the hotels some are, of the lakes around. The hotels pissed. hate the PBRS. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, but yes. I, can you blame people for wanting to do it? I mean, not only that, but the think of the locals that are trying to buy a house for themselves that live in those areas and the, you know, that that's driving the prices up. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. I think Dan, uh, you did wrote an article about that not too long ago. Yes, yeah, he did. Yeah. I wrote an article about Airbnbs and, you know, yeah. the pros and cons and of weighing different, uh, different people's rights or, you know, their protections. And, and so that is an interesting thing that has come in and how towns are dealing or trying to enforce or trying to limit Airbnbs in mm-hmm. their towns. Uh, the other thing area too that I've seen, we talk about rental properties and younger people are getting into this game where they're buying duplexes and they're living in half and they're renting. That's what I did. Half. That was my first yeah. property was, it was great. Yeah. It's a really smart way to do it. If you can get into it at that, you know, especially at that young of an age yeah. and that being your first property. I, my I, first one was, I was 23. I bought a two unit for $85,000 and the downstairs rent paid my mortgage. Absolutely. I had to pay a couple hundred bucks a month for taxes and insurance, and it was great. 
Can't beat that. And, yeah. as, and as an owner-occupied purchase on a multifamily, you don't need much money down. Yeah. Only three and a half percent. No, that was back when loan. you could do 106% financing, <laughs> my man. That was uh, no money down, 6% seller's concession. I those days have, are over, uh, I think I wrote a $50 check for that whole transaction. Yeah. The, you got days. money back at the, the I probably did. <laughs> uh, I definitely bought a couple of properties where that happened, too. It was the weirdest thing. Which there are some of those out there. You know, there's some interesting properties in Saratoga right now. I'm working with a client that's, he's looking to buy a multifamily because mm-hmm. his daughter rents in Saratoga. She works in Saratoga. Her husband works. They love it there. Um, parents from Connecticut. They just had a new, new baby. They had, a, they got a one-year-old and they're, they got a new baby on the way. And the grandparents are like, you need to find us a two family because we're going to move them into one. Yeah. And they can run out the top. But when we want to come up in the summer, Got a know, place, got a spot. Got a place. So that's an interesting client. Um, so working with them back yeah. on the market. So looking at two families, there's quite a few in Saratoga right now. Um, there's now some, I haven't looked in a while, but I was looking at some of the, the two units in Saratoga. Prices are crazy. There's some, wow. there's some very crazy pricing out there. Um, but there are a couple that are um, somewhat reasonable. Almost. So, they flirt with reasonable. They they're they're on the edge. They're right there where they could be, you know, profitable um, to somebody right off the bat. I mean, like instant. Even if they're moving somebody to the bottom. Yeah. um, Because one of them had. It's interesting that he said the property in the back. So there's one in Saratoga right now that's a two family house in the front, with a single family in the back. So. I mean, and I'm sure it's got a sticker on it, though. They, that's primarily the only time they rent that, and it pays for everything is track season. Yeah. So that's that's like very interested to them. So I don't know. We're circling back. We looked at it in June. It's still on the market. So he's thinking of. It's amazing to me when I hear properties are still on the market. I'm like, I don't think that happened anymore, but I guess it does. He's gonna probably put an offer, and I think yeah. I think he's really convinced, but. We haven't quite got there, so we'll see what happens. So, uh, so we're running out of time. I want to make sure you guys out of here uh, as promised. Uh, real quick, though, just uh, first-time home buyers. Any words of wisdom for the people out there that are? Yeah, I mean, first things first. Make sure you surround yourself with a good real estate agent who's going to do the research and do the work mm-hmm. and build those relationships and give you the best information that you can possibly have when you are looking and shopping and negotiating for a home. You want to work with somebody like Paul who's going to put in that work. And likewise, you want to make sure you have a good lender. You want to have a good local lender. Um, That offer with a local lender on that pre-approval letter is really going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. And that education process of those two professionals before that contract comes to me as the attorney, I can see the difference between one real estate agent team to another real estate agent team. And same with lender to lender. I can see the different in education level that a client gets before they come to me. And so then I'm just able to reinforce that education that they've already had so that we can set realistic expectations so that they know how the transaction is going to go. And they have a a more smooth and enjoyable process. Okay. And and the people that come to me, I tell them, don't go out and buy two new cars and think you're going to get a mortgage. <laughs> you think you would have heard that from the mortgage I guy. Was, that was common. Before, that, was what I, that was going to be my advice. Don't go out and get an $800 a month I car. I literally had a client do that just before I went down. He, he hooked up with me. We were showing houses. He had plenty of money down. 
His wife had a, a hair. She wanted a new car. So he went and bought a new car and a new truck. And kill the whole financing deal. He's got phenomenal credit. Yeah. Makes great money. But he spent, he bought them both cash. So. Well, at least he bought them cash and have the credit. I used to have a buddy who used to call it buyitis. Now people he started had, to start buying everything they could. Now he didn't have the funds to buy the houses he was looking at. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh shit, clothing costs are X amount. Oh yeah. He's like, oh, I didn't realize I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, I'll sell the sell the truck. Okay. <laughs> so now can he, he trade a truck like, in on a mortgage? He, he's now circling back because he's now saved the money to buy the house. So wow. it's like I I told him I said don't go buy anything crazy. I said you're done. You don't need no toys, right? And he's like, oh no, I don't I don't do that. So. There's like a list that uh, you got to go over with your uh, clients. When yeah. You know, of, do, of don'ts. Don't There's do Things this. that you should do. Don't go out and buy an expensive car right before you're about to buy a house. Don't no you know, start cards. buying furniture, you know, during the process before you even have <laughs> Don't run house. your credit cards up. Yeah. Don't run your credit cards up. And uh, most importantly, don't quit your job like three days before the closing. To oh, take man. another job because we've, we've seen it all over the years and, and people do crazy things. So uh, real quick, uh just want to know, let everybody know listening where they can find you guys. Dan, if uh, someone wants to find you, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So I'm with the firm of Ionello Anderson. And again, we have four offices from Glens Falls all the way down to Albany. They can reach me at uh, the phone number at our firm is 518-371-8888. Where our website is ialawny.com. That's for Ionello Anderson, lawny.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Instagram under my name. I'm happy to take any referral that anybody wants to give me. And I'll chat and have conversation with any client and point them in the right direction. Use promo code buying local. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag <laughs> buying That's local. That's right. Hashtag buying local. Mark, how about you, man? How can people find you if they uh, need you? So they can find me. Uh, give, certainly give me a call on my uh, personal cell phone at 518-495-0047. Uh, they can look at look me up on our website, which is freedomonefunding.com with the one spelled out, uh, or they can look me up on Facebook. Awesome. Paul? So they can reach out to me on my website, which is paul-smith at kw.com, or they can give me a call at 518-361-4388, or they can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, always kind of putting something out there, so I'll... I'm open up to any questions they want, you know, and I'm open to any referrals they'd like to send. Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for coming. I appreciate it. And Paul, uh, an extra special thanks for coming uh, 10 weeks out of, out of surgery. I know it was a major deal and uh, you're looking pretty good, man. So we're, we're glad to have you back. Happy to have you back. And uh, and thanks for being a community partner. We appreciate the support. Glenn's Falls today. And uh, we'll keep doing what we can. So All right, thanks. Thanks guys, thanks, thanks so much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next week. The superpower that every citizen has is the ability to control where they spend their time, money, and attention. By focusing these on supporting local businesses, you are having a profound impact on your friends, your family, and your local community. So if you want to change the world, you can start with buying local.